And with that, let's open God's word, James 5, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Thank you, David, for reading today. We turn to the last eight verses of the book of James to complete our series in the book of James. I'm Champ Thornton. I'm one of the associate pastors here. We're so glad you're here today or joining us online. We welcome you. It is a privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. About 15 years ago, a friend of mine who was an electrician was telling me about a close call he had had on one of his jobs. I'm sure I asked him, hey, have you ever had a close call? And, and I'm sure that's how the conversation started. And as I recall, there had been some kind of electrical malfunction uh, at a restaurant, in the kitchen of a restaurant. And the power was out. And so when he got there, he found that the kitchen was also flooded. So now he's working and standing in a few inches of water. And he approaches the wires where the problem is located, and he takes out his razor blade to slit the insulation on the wires with the understanding, of course, that the power is off. So he makes his cut and then decides to double check and just make sure the power is actually off, only to discover that the power is on. And he told me that when he realized the power was on and how he was just millimeters from his razor blade brushing up against that live wire, he was physically trembling and just had to go sit down and collect himself. So the reason this story may hit us so strongly is because we know the power of electricity in these conditions. If we didn't, we might say, what? I mean, it's only a razor blade. I mean, it wasn't like he was grabbing some large gauge wire or something like that. But we do know the potentiality of what could have happened. And it affects the way we think about the story. So similarly, James, the author of our text today, decides to spend the last eight verses of his short book telling us about something that's also powerful. James, in chapter 5, verse 13, to the end of the book, reminds us of the power of words. Our words. Words spoken by every Christian. What kind of words? Well, words of praise, words of prayer, words of humility, words of warning. These are words of power coming from you. And you might say, well, I don't get that. I mean, I've got kids. I know my words don't have power. Or you might say, well, this is 2020, and I've seen the limits that 
my influence has, that my words have. My words can't change my situation. My words can't change my life. My words can't change the people around me. My word's not powerful. And James might actually agree with you. Because he doesn't think that your words are powerful in themselves. But they're like the razor blade. Which, when connected to the power of God, becomes a small and insignificant conduit for his mighty and powerful working through you. As Pastor John Piper has said about one form of words, words in prayer, before I read it, you know how John Piper is. It can be a bit of a deep dive, so hang on, let's think about this together. He says this about prayer. Prayer is the coupling of primary and secondary causes. Well, primary cause, that's the power of God. We know where the power comes from. Secondary, God is pleased to use your words. He explains, it's the splicing of our limp wire to the lightning bolt of heaven. How astonishing that God wills to do His work through people. Truly, it is astonishing. In our passage today, we'll look at how God uses our weak words in powerful ways. Now, there are a lot of questions that we may have, rightly, about this passage, and we may get to some of them. But the main point is not to address every exception, like, well, what if my words really aren't powerful? But instead, to hear the Lord reminding us today that He has chosen to use even our weak words to accomplish His mighty plan. So, how? How does God use our weak words in powerful ways? Number one, James reminds us that we are called to speak to God. Number one, we speak to God. We see this in verse 13. Here's what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So here in this verse, James is covering both extremes, suffering, cheerfulness, and then therefore everything in between. So on the one hand, if things are going badly, suffering, then he says, you should speak words of prayer. Help me, Lord. Or on the other hand, if things are going well, then we should speak words of praise. Thank you, Lord. The point is that whatever you're going through, you should connect it to God. How? Through your words. So if you, this morning, if you're hurting or you're under pressure, or you're just deeply sad, call out to God. Call out to God who has seen fit to allow this darkness in your life. Call out to God who is powerful to deliver you from it. Call out to God who is powerful to sustain you in it. Or if you're enjoying life, then acknowledge that it's good because God has seen fit to bring this blessing into your life. All of life 
is from God. And so James is calling us to use our words, whether prayer or praise, to recognize God's involvement in every moment of our life, good or difficult. Our words to God, whether in prayer or praise, show that He is in control and we are not. But secondly, the next verses move to the second way in which God uses our words powerfully. Maybe some people can pray if it's hard and praise if it's good. But what if, what if life is so hard? What if you feel so crushed, so beaten down, that you just can't pray? Have you been there? Well, in the next few verses, James tells us how to use our words in that scenario. And in short, he says this, if you are without strength... Ask others to pray for you. So first we saw in verse 13, speak to God. And now in verses 14 and 15, James says, speak to God through others. Let me read verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So many translations, including the one I just read, will say something like this, that the one who is sick, let him or her call for the elders to pray and anoint with oil, and this will bring healing. And while these verses may indicate an option for those who are undergoing physical illness, The actual words used may also indicate not just sickness, but also weakness. The word sick in verse 14 means weak, literally without strength. So here's what Paul says. He uses this word in 2 Corinthians 12.10. Let me read it for us. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? Because... When I am weak, then I am strong. See, there's our word, weak. It's used of physical sickness and non-physical weakness. And the word sick in verse 15 can also mean weary, as in Hebrews 12, 3, which says, consider him, that's Jesus, who considered Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? Why should we consider him that way? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So, we are looking at a situation here in the book of James in which a person has no strength. And this fits the whole book of James, doesn't it? Just last week, Pastor Curtis preached the preceding passage in which James called us to have patient endurance in the face of suffering. And throughout the book of James, we see believers who are under pressure, who are under opposition, who are suffering. And sometimes it's physical and sometimes it's more than that. So we saw in verse 13, there are people who, when things are, when they're suffering, what should they do? They should pray. Well, here in verse 14, it goes beyond that. What if you're without strength? What if you can't pray? 
What if you're physically without strength or going through hardships and trials so that emotionally or psychologically or spiritually you're just beat down? Then James would say, call for the elders of the church to pray for you. Or here we'd say, ask the members of the shepherding team to pray for you. And James continues, if in your situation, your hardship, whatever it is that renders you without strength, the Lord brings something to mind, sins or failures that you need to make right, then you should do that. So after all, sometimes the Lord brings hardships into our lives in order to draw us back to himself. And so we shouldn't just assume that we are without any kind of fault. Now, we might be. Remember in the Old Testament, sometimes we see like the, the man Job. We learn that he was an innocent sufferer. And sometimes that may be where we are, and other times it may not be. In the swirl of brokenness we find ourselves in, there are problems around us, and not uncommonly, there are problems within us as well. So whether that's the case or not, we should ask the elders to pray for us. And it says anoint with oil. What's, what's that about? Well, sometimes you might think, oh, that's like medicine, like you would anoint a wound. But it's a different word for anoint. And it's the word that you read about all through the Bible where it talks about anointing like someone's getting ready for the day. We might say, oh, man, I'm just worn out. You know, I'm going to go wash my face and brush my hair and brush my teeth. Ready for the day. Okay, that's the idea here. We find it's in this a symbol of refreshing, a strengthening of bringing light to the eyes. And it says, the Lord will provide strength. The Lord will provide healing. It says, and the Lord will raise him up. And now this is where our questions begin, right? Some might ask, is this last rites? Well, this is not some sort of sentence or something said or a person when they're dying. These are words in prayer over a person who we're asking for recovery. Not only that, some people might say, well, is this sort of like a healing rally where some big name comes into town and calls people up onto the stage? No, this is not a recipe for public on-demand miracles. But this is something that's private. This is where an individual, they're not being called upon. They are calling the elders. And they're not calling big name healers. They're calling just normal church elders. So we see some contrast here, don't we? And still other people might ask, well, does God always provide healing, whether physical or emotional? Or more generally, does God always answer prayer? That's really what we're asking, right? And the answer, according to the Bible, is yes. And no, God makes promises. He promises that he hears and answers prayer. But like a good father, like a good parent, he always gives us what is truly best, not always exactly what we asked for. Our weak words, even in prayer, are not a limitation on his goodness, are they? And sometimes he keeps his word, but not only, and he answers prayer, not only, but not always on our time frame. Think of the phrase, and the Lord will raise him up. Can you think of people in the Bible that the Lord raised up, but maybe not when 
others had envisioned. I think of the man Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, who died, and the Lord Jesus waited four days to raise him up. Days that Lazarus' sisters would surely have wanted to get back, and you should have come sooner. Yes, he does raise up, but not always immediately. Even the Lord Jesus himself was three days before he was raised up. But James' point here is not to discourage us from praying, but rather to encourage us to ask for this strengthening, to ask for others to pray for us for strength and healing, whether emotional or physical or psychological or spiritual. Brothers and sisters, if you are without strength of whatever variety, would you ask for prayer? Would you ask the shepherding team to pray for you? God's power through weak words. First, we speak to God. Second, we speak to God through others. And third, now we speak to God with others. Look at verses 16 through 18. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Did you notice that these verses pick up the themes from the last verses? It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Confession and prayer, we just started talking about that. It's almost as if he's saying, so you don't get to a place where you are without strength. Be praying and confessing to one another now. And here he's not asking the, you're not asking the elders to pray because you're without strength, but you yourself are praying, but you're not praying by yourself. Here you're praying with other believers, and it says confessing your sins as well. Hmm. Why? Why confessing sins? Well, not because you're seeking some sort of absolution, but this, I think, is just the honest confession of failure, of limitations. Now, sometimes you need to go to someone else and you need to make things right between you. And if that's the case, it's probably already come to your mind, sitting right here of that person in that situation that you need to go make right. At other times, it may just be that it's healthy to be honest about your sin. And of course, in every situation, wisdom ought to be exercised about how and to whom and to what extent this happens. But the point here is humble, honesty, not some kind of verbal exhibitionism. So here's some samples. It could sound like several guys talking and one says, you know, I've really struggled with anger this week and sometimes I've given in to that temptation and I've had to ask forgiveness. Would you guys pray that I would do better this week? Or it could sound like some friends saying, my heart has been so anxious this week, fearful, and I'm not sure I'm sinning, but I know I am struggling. Would you pray with me? Or the Lord has shown me that my default heart setting is just so proud and I hate it. Would you pray with me about this? 
Or, I've really been tempted this week toward covetousness, even bitterness toward others. Would you pray that I keep confessing these sins to the Lord? So you see, this is not some just cathartic therapy for your guilt, but it's about owning up to your sin and your shortcomings. And there, James says, is power in these words of weakness, right? And you will be healed. When's the last time you were just open with someone you trust about your sin? Is that a regular part of your vocabulary? Maybe not with every Christian that you meet in a week, but is there someone that you have relational connection with that you could be open like that? The power of weak words. We should speak to God in all things, for all aspects of life, whether good or bad. We should speak to God through others when we have no strength. We should speak to God with others. But also, fourthly, we should speak to others about God. And here we get to verses 19 and 20. Let me read those for us. My brothers, or my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. These verses describe a situation when a fellow Christian, by his life and actions, decides to leave the path of following Christ. This seems to be a, a deliberate turning away from God, an abandoning of Christ, a refusal to follow the Lord's instructions in His Word. It's like a sheep who wanders away from the flock, from the safety of the fold, from the protection of the shepherd. And a person who's wandered away like this ultimately will find destruction and hardship unless that person is restored and returns. So whatever this speaking is to others about God, calling them back, you know what we know? We know this isn't policing. We know that it's not whistleblowing. We know that it's not shunning or shaming. It's saying, won't you come home? You are so loved. It's what Galatians chapter 6 says when Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, you who have the Spirit of God, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So these words, these weak words spoken to restore another Christian. This fulfills the law of Christ, that law of love. So when you speak words of restoration, you're not speaking words of harshness or condescension. In gentleness, you're speaking words of love. And the point here is that all of us who name the name of Christ, all of us have this responsibility 
This speaking words of restoration is not just for the specialists or the counselors or the pastors or the members of the shepherding team. This applies to every one of us. So it's, isn't it interesting that Paul, when he writes in the book of Romans, he's writing to a church that he had no part in founding and he's never been there. He knows some of their names, but he doesn't have that kind of personal relationship with them like he does for other churches. And yet in chapter 15, he can say this really amazing statement about these people that he doesn't know. Here's what he says. I'm convinced of you, my brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge, and you are able to admonish one another. He has a rock-solid confidence that because they're Christians, they have what they need to open their mouths and speak truth into each other's lives. Loving words, warning words, restoring words, you're able to do that. You don't know me. I know. I don't. I may not. But if you belong to Christ, this responsibility belongs to you. And you might say, me? My words? I wouldn't know what to say. I mean, what could I do? Well, our passage pulls back the curtain and lets us see what these words can do. He says that the one who turns this wanderer back from his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That is what your words can do. Your words. And my words are weak. Yeah. All our words are weak. But your words are the means God has chosen to call others to Jesus. Your weakness is not a hindrance to his plan. It's part of his plan. So we started today about talking about how our words and prayers are like a little wire, a razor blade that's connected to the massive power of God. And yet I want us to push one layer deeper here as we wrap up today. That if that analogy that it's like a wire or that razor blade in the electrical cabling, if that's the only analogy, it's going to fall short Because these words, it's not magic. It's not merely us kind of channeling the power of God whenever we want to. You see, our words reflect our heart. And hearts of humility and lowness and littleness and weakness before the Lord, hearts that reflect reality because we are low and little and weak, right? These hearts express themselves through our words, What does God's word say? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, for example, in contrast, if you're moving through life as everything's mainly about you and what you want, then you're not going to be relating everything to God, like verse 13 said, to the good and the bad. So when it's bad, instead of praying, grumbling. Those are the words. And when things are good, instead of praising, what words? Gloating. Or when you are without strength, 
If you're self-sufficient, then you're not going to ask for help. And when you fail, you don't acknowledge it to others. And when others fail and wander away, you're not trying to speak truth into their lives. You're just going to mind your own business. You see, in these cases, the bottom line is, is that the absence of words may actually be revealing an absence of humility. I don't need help. I won't admit failure. I won't inconvenience myself to help others. Your silence may shout the presence of pride. And we know from the book of James that God resists the proud, but he gives grace and help to the humble. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, would you open your mouth to the Lord for His plan? Would you open your heart to the Lord? If we approach the Lord in humility and yet open our mouths in words of weakness, the Lord will use your words. Will you open your mouths this morning, even in the moments we have left, and from your heart speak to him words of prayer, perhaps words of confession, confessing sin and pride, perhaps your silence? How might the Lord lead you to speak this week? To acknowledge him in the good things that you experience? To be quick to run to him in prayer for help when things are not what you would have dialed up? Are you open with others about your sin? Do you pray with others? Would the Lord lead you to do that? Is someone on your mind this week, are you ready when you have that person come into your life? Are you ready to say, can we pray about that? Are you ready? This week, when that happens, well, I kind of awkward about that. I get it. I do. Weak words. And that's perfect. That's exactly what the Lord wants. God is pleased to use our words, our weak words, in powerful ways. May he receive the glory for it. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we don't understand why you don't make some things easier. We don't understand why you use things that are hard, things we would never have asked to use. But Lord, in faith, we come to you and say, we believe what you've said. Lord, help us to demonstrate that belief, the faith in your power, not the faith in our words. Help us to demonstrate that by opening our mouths this week in prayer and praise and humility, words for restoration. So, Lord, would you be pleased to use our words to accomplish your mighty plan? And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.